So, remember last time, two weeks ago, we were here together, and I was telling you about the purpose of Wellspring, and I was telling you that Wellspring is here to do two things. It's here to equip, and it's here to encourage us. And we're going to be equipped, and we're going to be encouraged all year long. And I spoke about the two components of Wellspring. I said that there's like the together component, and then there's the on your own component. And I was thinking about that later, and I was thinking, you know, that's kind of like a bicycle. So I want you to imagine we're all on a bicycle, okay? You have your seat, and you're ready to go. Of course, you need your two wheels. So it's helpful if you think of your front wheel. That's the together component of Wellspring. So together, we're going to receive our teaching, and together, we're going to experience fellowship, and we're going to experience the encouragement that we get in our discussion groups. That's the front wheel, okay? But this is not a unicycle, so it's a bicycle, so we need the back wheel, and the back wheel is the on-your-own component. So on-your-own, we're all on our own, we're doing our reading plan. And just as a reminder, we all want to be starting, um, if we haven't already, by this Wednesday, right? Picking your plan and starting your reading plan by Wednesday, October 1st. And then on our own, we also get to do that homework assignment. And we need both of those to get going on our year through Wellspring. Now, throughout this first semester, Sarah and I are going to be unveiling some really cool things. And these things are tools, and they're designed to help us participate fully in all that Wellspring has to offer. And so back to our little bicycle analogy, if you think of spokes now, the spokes uh, on the wheels, so each of these little unveiling components are going to be like the spoke on the wheel that just helps us go through the year. Now, isn't it wonderful that we get to meet in the library? It's kind of intimate and cozy, and I love it here. And now there are over 30 of us, close to 35 of us now, in Wellspring. And even though that's still a cozy little group, right, there's no way I'm going to get to really know all of you. And you're not going to get to really know all of each other. And that is why we have the discussion groups. So now we have cozy little groups that we get to um, be in for encouragement, for equipping, for us, each of us getting a chance to uh, share with our fellow discussion group friends how we've been applying the gospel to our lives and how the lesson has been encouraging us. Well, today we're going to do an unveil. Okay, Today we get to unveil a component of Wellspring that is going to let us get even closer to one another, even more intimate, even more personal, even more special, even more effective for fellowship so we can practice those one another's. Okay, you ready to hear about it? Today we're going to be paired. So we have our big group, we have our discussion groups, and now we get to be linked or paired with a special person for the purpose of just reaching out to that one other person. 
we're going to get to keep encouraging each other, that one other special person, to persevere in discipline one, discipline two, and discipline three. And to grow personally, and we're going to encourage one another also to grow and to step out and encourage the church body. And this partnership, this relationship, is called Sisters. Now, the role of Wellspring Sisters is just that. It's to maintain regular contact with that one other special person for care and for prayer. And it stands for, ta-da, serious in sustaining, tender, encouraging relationships. Sisters. And this is an opportunity for each and every one of us to reach out to that one special sister, one special friend. You may not even know her yet, but you will. And it is our hope that you will build a friendship with her and a relationship with her. Maybe you can exchange texts. Um, you know how you're reading the Bible and you get really excited about a verse that just pops and it's so exciting to you. You have to share it with someone, but ooh, there's nobody here. Everybody's asleep or nobody's here. So what do you do? You can text your sister and tell her all about it. You can call her. You can email her. You can get together between classes if you'd like. And of course, you can be praying for her. You know, one of my um, past sisters and I were so serious in sustaining tender, encouraging relationships that we formed a very special friendship. And I'm still really connected with her. And we meet regularly and we memorize scripture together and we pray together and we send each other encouraging texts and Bible verses. We do that regularly. But here's the important thing. That works for me. For you, you do not, certainly do not need to get as involved as what I just said. But please begin to be committed to pray for one another. We can all start there. And then you can add other components, a few at a time, as you too um, decide that you can do that. You know, if your sister is not here on a Saturday, would you please reach out to her? And say, how is it going? How are you? How can I pray for you? And when it's dark and rainy and cold in January and your covers are like like holding you down and saying, no, uh, stay under here. Just stay. It's okay. You can go to Wellspring next time. Guess what? You're not going to do that because your sister uh, knows that you're not a morning person and she's been praying for you to get here on time. So you'll get up because your Wellspring sister has been praying for you. So Wellspring sisters are just one of the exciting tools that we have that will equip us and encourage us to shepherd our own heart towards Jesus Christ with the Word of God so that we can live gospel-transformed lives, thus strengthening the church in its gospel purpose. And your Wellspring discussion leader will get to reveal who the sisters are today. 
So thanks for listening to that. And now we're going to ask Sarah to come up and she'll give us our wonderful lesson. Thank you, Sarah. Good morning, everybody. Very thankful to be here with you. Two out of two. You're here last week. Two down. All right. Well, I know that I need to start with prayer, so pray with me if you would. Heavenly Father, thank you for being our King, our God. Thank you for ruling and reigning all over all things. Thank you that you are good in all of your ways. Thank you that in your mercy you have seen fit to redeem God-haters redeem sinners, redeem those who would never even know they needed redemption and who would refuse it, except that you've come and invaded our hearts and given us eyes to see how badly we need you and how sweet your son is. Lord, I'm thankful that we can come together as your body this morning. We can gather together, we can learn from your word, and I plead with you for your spirit to be at work in each of us to make us soft to give us understanding, and to let us be transformed more into the image of your Son through our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, One, just just point of clarification, Lori mentioned the Friday nights, and that is not a requirement of Wellspring. That's just Grace Bible Church Women's Ministry, and the Friday nights are once a month. You can invite a friend. You can come once. You can come to all of them. It's not an ongoing commitment like Wellspring, but certainly you're welcome, and if there's something you want to bring a friend to, that's a really great opportunity to include someone from outside Grace Bible Church. All right, so go ahead and start with your notebook. If you've been part of Wellspring before, you know that every week um, we start by reminding ourselves of why we're here. And so you can just use my notebook. (laughs) All right. Um, The purpose of Wellspring is to equip and encourage the women of Grace Bible Church to shepherd their hearts toward Jesus Christ with the Word of God so that they live out gospel-transformed lives, thus strengthening the church in its gospel purpose. That's our goal. Now, last week, Scott Maxwell got us started by explaining the vision and purpose of Grace Bible Church. And we heard how important it is to position ourselves daily before the Word of God to get God himself. And as we do that, not only are we personally strengthened, but then as we come into contact with one another, the entire body will be strengthened and uh, encouraged and impacted by the time that we've had with the Lord. So to better help us apply that and understand that, we have three disciplines. Discipline one is the heart. She prayerfully shepherds her heart toward God through the word of God, and in particular, the gospel. Now, what does it mean to shepherd your heart? Well, one definition for shepherd is to supply what is required for the soul's need. And that is a great way to think about shepherding our hearts. We are supplying what is required for our soul's need by meeting prayerfully with God in his word so that our heart, that's who we are inwardly before God, is fed and strengthened to worship God. We are prepared to trust and walk in obedience to God's commands in our thoughts and in our deeds throughout our day. 
The point is not to check a box on our reading plan. The focus is on bringing our hearts before God in a way that will cultivate a nearness to God and grow in us affections for him. But we're not very good at doing that generally unless we have a plan. Now, if you haven't already, please read through the Bible reading instructions in your notebook. There's a lot of helpful details there, and there's some new ideas for reading plans if, if you uh, it, uh, that are new to Wellspring from past years. If you already have a Bible reading plan, you just stick with what you're doing. You just carry on. You can dive right into a Bible plan, reading plan that will take you through the Bible in a year, and if it takes you more than a year, that's okay. Maybe the two-year plan is a better tool for you to help you um, focus on a smaller portion of Scripture each day, or there's a template for making your own plan. Um, but whatever we, whatever we choose, we need a plan. Our plan helps us to feed this discipline of drawing near to God in his word each day. There's one other resource uh, that there, you can look at on the back table. It's called the MacArthur Bible Handbook. If you ever struggle with your Bible reading because you get to, let's say, the book of Amos, and you have no idea who this is, who, why it was written, and who they're talking about, that your reading is not going to necessarily be very meaningful. The the, a Bible handbook like the one on the back table gives you some background information, some maps, a timeline, and just puts you in context so that you are in a position to actually benefit from that time reading that book that you might not be very familiar with. Russ, uh, I won't have them to sell here, but Russ will have them on Sunday. Um, he can get you a new one for $18, and he said he can get you a used like new one for somewhere in the $12 range, which is a very good price. Um, so talk to him. The price fluctuates on the used ones, but he said for sure, just uh, talk to the guys at the book table. Let them know you want the MacArthur Bible Handbook, and they'll work that out for you. Okay. Um, the next discipline then we have is discipline to the home. She ministers to those in her household with her heart for God and the gospel. As women, we have a spiritual influence in our homes. The question we must ask ourselves is, what kind of influence are we making there? <clears throat> Do we see ourselves as sent ones in our home? Are we looking for ways to bring the gospel into conversations? Discipline two is about being a woman who understands the value that God places on the relationships in our home and then makes those relationships a priority. This kind of woman is committed to discipline one, caring for her heart, because she understands that Discipline 2 is an overflow of Discipline 1. Our conversations and our attitude and our service to those in our home will all reflect that we've met with God in his word. Discipline 3, then, is ministry with a heart for God and the gospel. And fulfilling her ministry within her household, she steps into the church to shepherd others toward God and the gospel. So these disciplines help us establish priorities. If we have supplied what our soul needs, because we've been drawing near to God in his word, and we are caring for our households as an extension of our heart for God, then we will be ready to care for others and serve them as well. These disciplines have to overlap. We can't say we won't be involved in ministry because we're still working on discipline one and two. We do need to be caring for one another in the body or wherever God puts us. 
But this gives us a priority in our thinking. We need to be careful about shepherding our hearts with the word and be intentional about living that out in our home as we are reaching out and caring for others with God's word. Okay, that, those are our disciplines. We'll review those every time we get together. Now today, we're going to begin our teaching on the heart with looking at the gospel implications for our heart. Because understanding what the gospel has accomplished in the life of a believer is central in shepherding our hearts. So go ahead and open up this brochure that you got, this chart. This is the big picture of the gospel's work. And the big picture matters. I don't know if you've ever heard the fable about the blind men who wanted to know what an elephant was. Well, the one who found the tail was convinced that the elephant was a kind of rope. While the one who found his leg was sure that an elephant must be a type of tree. And the one who found the tusk just knew that the elephant was a type of spear. While all of them perceived some degree of truth, they all were wrong because they didn't have a complete picture. And we can make the same mistake in our understanding of the gospel. For example, this is something Scott touched on at the retreat. If we focus exclusively on what God has done when he saves a sinner, we can easily lose sight of our ongoing residue of sin and our need to actively battle that sin and to pursue growth in our Christian life. We can fall into all kinds of errors if we fail to keep the big picture in view. Now, there is a lot on this chart, and your first thought might just be, oh, this is overwhelming. So I want to encourage you that, first of all, we won't try to cover everything, but we are looking for the big picture. And remember, this is your brochure. You can continue to use it to learn and to go back and look up the verses so that you can continue to bring even more clarity to what's in here. And these lessons will also be online if you need to go back and listen again. And you may not see this yet, but I hope that you'll come to see that this lesson is immensely practical. It shows us what Christ has accomplished at the cross. It shows us who we are in Christ. And it shows us why we struggle with sin. And it shows us, bottom line, that we must shepherd our hearts. So you have the brochure. And... Then you also got some worksheets, something like this. Um, The information in the worksheets is identical to what's in the chart. You have the chart because it may be helpful for taking notes. It's it's paper that's easier to write on and there's more space. Um, I'll give you some references today that are not in the chart, um, but that's up to you. This is kind of that form that's easy to keep in your Bible and refer to over and over, whereas this may be easier for note-taking. All right, Um, but it's it's my hope that you will continue to use this chart as a tool to remind yourself of gospel truth. Okay, well, let's start by looking at the figures across the top of the chart, the little pictures. This will give us an overview. So where you see people, that represents a condition of man. And then the description of the various conditions are in blue beneath the figures, And then you'll also see gray triangles, or you might call them brown or tan. Had a bit of a discussion about that. I'm just (laughs) calling them gray. (laughs) And I'm sticking with it. Okay. All of the gray triangles represent events 
the, the events are things that happen at a point in time. And you'll see that those triangles point to gray peaks, and then those peaks lead down a path to the bottom of the chart where there's a description of each event. Now the event descriptions are down at the bottom of the chart just for space purposes, but the sequence of these conditions events are in the figures across the top of the page. So you notice that the people then have both an inner man and an outer shell. That inner man is who we are at a heart level. It's who we are inwardly before God. It's how God sees us. It's the real you. And that's what we refer to as the heart or the inner man. And then the outer shell represents our physical bodies or our members. It's our hands, our eyes, our mouths. And it's important to understand that our members display what we are on the inside. So on the left, we have the unregenerate man. That's who we were apart from Christ. And now the rest of this chart shows what happens to a believer. Moving across the top of the chart, to the right, we have the first gray triangle, regeneration. This is conversion, when we become a follower of Christ through the gospel. Because people over on the left, in this unregenerate condition, only need one thing. They need the gospel. They need regeneration. Moving to the right, we see gray and yellow figures representing the regenerate man. This is what the Bible calls the new creation, or the new man. This represents who we are right now in the Christian life. Here, the inner man is fundamentally different than what we saw in the unregenerate man. The regenerate man is in the process of changing. So the color is changing from gray to yellow as we move to the right. And then continuing to the right, we come to death for the believer. After death, we have a completely yellow figure without the outer shell. In other words, there's no body. The outer man is dead, but the inner man continues to live. And it's all yellow. We'll no longer be fighting against sin. We will be with Jesus. And then you see a gray triangle for resurrection or rapture. And then, we, and then you can see that we get a glorified body. Now the word rapture might be unfamiliar. Rapture refers to what's described in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. And those verses are on your chart. Um, it's when Christ comes and catches up believers in the air to be with him. First, those who've died, that's the resurrection, and then that's followed by those who are alive, that's the rapture. That's when we get the glorified bodies. So that's just an overview of our chart. Now go ahead, um, if you like, open up your Bible to Ephesians 2. Um, we need to begin with who we were before Christ, who anyone is apart from Jesus. So we're going to be looking at the first blue panel, which says the unregenerate man. Now, I'll just make a note. I love the Word of God, and I'm sure you do too, and that's why you're here. Um, when I'm listening to teaching, I am so helped to actually turn to the verses in my Bible and follow along in my own Bible. That helps me a lot. Um, this particular lesson, you can see that there are many, many, many verses referenced on this chart, and we will not turn to them all. 
Um, I just encourage you to do what's most helpful for you. If it's most helpful for you, the verses are not actually written on the chart, but you have the references and you have bullet points from them. If you find it easier for today's lesson, because it's such a survey, to just follow along with the chart, that is completely up to you. But the verses are there. If you like looking them up and that's helpful to you, then that's, that's great. Okay, so we are looking at the unregenerate man panel. Um, that blue panel on the left, the verses in this panel describe who a person is without Jesus. It's an unmixed, sinful condition. Now we'll explain more of what we mean by unmixed when we look at the key descriptions of this condition. But unregenerate man is completely unrighteous. You can see that in the header at that top of the first blue panel. It describes all of us before the gospel had impacted our lives and made us new. This was our identity. So we'll start with reading from Ephesians 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Notice that our flesh and our mind were in complete agreement. There was no tension between them. This is an unmixed condition. Ephesians 2.12 says that we were without hope, and we were without God. That was our condition. Colossians 1.13 says we were in the domain of darkness. We were under the authority and power of darkness, and it, we were under the control of darkness, and it blinded us to our lostness, to the danger we were in. Titus 3.3 says, For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient and deceived. That's why we didn't understand how lost we were. We were deceived. Titus continues, We were enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Sin ruled every part of who we were. Romans 6 tells us that we were slaves to sin. Now you can see that there are many more descriptions of the unbeliever on the chart, which you can continue to study on your own. But we're going to summarize by going to the key descriptions of this old condition. On the chart, this is in the unregenerate man panel in the third column of that panel in bold type. First, we were in an unmixed condition. Okay, so what do we mean by unmixed? We were unmixed in regards to death. There was no trace of life in us spiritually. We were unmixed in regard to hostility to God. There was no trace of honor for him. We were unmixed in our love of self-rule and our hatred of God's rule. There was nothing within us to disagree with what we were doing as slaves of sin. Every part of us was in agreement about running away from God to our own ways. 
The next key description is that we were unable not to sin and unable to please God. No one in that condition is even able to subject herself to God, and she doesn't want to. It's impossible not to sin in that unmixed condition. Even when outward behavior looks good, the unregenerate man is incapable of God-honoring motives. And because this is an unmixed condition, there is no fight within. We weren't fighting against sin, and we certainly weren't fighting to get Jesus. We were dominated by and enslaved to sin. Sin ruled all of our faculties. That just means every ability of our body and of our mind, including our thoughts, our emotions, our motives, our actions. We were unable to shepherd our hearts away from sin and to God. When we did try to battle sin, when we tried to change, the very best we could do was to trade one sin for another, if we had any success at all. But there was no turning to God in it. There was no desire to submit to him. And the whole time, we couldn't see that our best efforts were just filthy rags before God. We weren't earning anything from God but wrath. And that's our final key description. We were under God's wrath and judgment. There is a penalty for sin. Look at this panel. How could God be just and not punish that? What you made of yourself, what you earned, what you loved, how could he not judge you for that? How could he not judge me? God has holy, righteous anger and wrath against sin. There is a penalty and judgment will come and it must be paid. So what does your heart do when you hear that? This is who we were. This is what the believer has been saved out of. Does that produce gratitude to God in you? Knowing this should make a difference in our devotion to Jesus. Now, what do I mean by that? If we allow ourselves to slip into thinking that, well, you know, we weren't that bad. Christ saved me some from this saved me from some mistakes I made, or maybe kind of from a troubled past. If we think like that, our heart for God will grow cold. But if we see our old condition the way God sees it, it will help grow in us a deeper thankfulness to God for what he's done for us in the gospel, and it will give us a heart for those who remain in that condition. It is good for us to do what we're doing here, to look in the rearview mirror, so to speak, because it makes the rest of what's on this chart so much more meaningful, and it fuels our love for God. So let's not forget what God has rescued us from. Take some time this week and let this sink in. Now, if we were going to try to figure out a solution for such a sin-saturated life, we would probably take that heart from an unmixed, sinful condition and we would put it in an unmixed, holy, obedient condition with no flaws. But that kind of unmixed condition is something that believers are still looking forward to when Christ comes again or when we die. So on the right side of the chart, you have a blue heavenly man panel. Now the heavenly man is in an unmixed, sinless condition. He has been made righteous. Growth in holiness is complete. At the bottom, you see three gray triangles labeled death, rapture, and resurrection. 
with the descriptions of each underneath. Now remember, those descriptions are explaining the great event triangles up at the top of the page. Under the description of death, you can see that death for the believer is departing the land of the dying and going home to be with the Lord. Isn't that a great way to think about death? It's true. And you can read those verses on your own. Then moving to the right, we have the rapture. If we're living when Christ returns, we get to skip death. Christ will come and catch believers up in the air to be with him, and our bodies will be instantly transformed into glorified bodies, and our inner man will be completely righteous. The resurrection is for those who've died. When Christ returns, the dead in Christ will receive new physical glorified bodies, and those new bodies will be reunited with their completely sanctified inner man. And 1 Corinthians 15 describes those resurrection bodies. These weak, perishable bodies that we have now will be gone. In their place, we will have imperishable, glorious bodies that never die and that never sin. They will be perfectly suited for praising and serving God forever. Now, we're going to look at 1 John 3 if you want to turn there. It's listed in the blue heavenly man panel. This verse gives us another look at Christ's return for us. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him. Because we will see him just as he is. Isn't that amazing? We will see Jesus, and so we'll be like him. What a hope we have. And understanding something about our future hope, Christ coming again and raising us from the dead and giving us glorified bodies helps us think rightly about our pursuit of godliness right now. Look back at 1 John 3, 3. It says, everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. We are going to see Christ face to face. We are going to be like him. And so what does that mean? Does that mean that we can be careless and that it doesn't matter how we live? No, First John says that he who has this hope purifies himself. Now why would we do that? Why would we purify ourselves and prepare to meet Jesus? Well, let's ask another question. Why does a bride prepare for her wedding. Is it to earn her groom's affections? Of course not. A bride prepares for her wedding because of the love that she and her groom already have for each other. And because of that love, she anticipates the day when she will enter into a whole new season of relationship with him. Similarly, our obedience does not earn righteous standing with God. It does not earn his forgiveness. Rather, by God's grace and by the power of his Holy Spirit, a believer wants to purify herself and labors to purify herself because of what Christ has already done in saving her and because of her hope. She knows she's going to be with Jesus forever. And we want to be ready, just like the bride wants to be ready for her groom. So let's look at the key descriptions of this future condition. 
we will once again live in an unmixed condition, but this time it will be of the very best kind. It will not be mixed with perishable or corruptible qualities. It is unmixed life with no trace of death and no trace of the powerful poison of sin. It is an absolutely glorious unmixed condition. We will be unable to sin. Unable to displease God. Can you imagine that? There's no fight within. We will be perfectly enslaved to God. We will delight in the privilege of serving him continually. We will have perfect righteousness in all our faculties. It's it's the exact opposite of what we were apart from Christ. And there will be no more need to shepherd our hearts away from sin and to God because we won't even be tempted to sin. We will be enveloped in God's joy. So I want to ask again, what does your heart do when you hear all of this, these glorification realities? You know, God's word often points us to this glorification to strengthen our perseverance in trials and temptations. Preaching these truths to our heart helps relax our grip on the world. And it helps us to marvel at the great salvation that God has purchased for us because it is so much bigger than what we've experienced so far. If it isn't your practice to preach these truths to your own heart when you remember the gospel, then I want to encourage you to invest some time to learn these truths and think about these truths. As you do, you will grow to treasure these marvelous promises and they will become part of your heart shepherding. But how can a person have this kind of hope? How could we ever move out of what we saw over on the left and now have this to look forward to? Well, it's all because of the gospel. So now we get to talk about regeneration, and that's represented by the first gray triangle at the top of your chart. The triangle points to a gray peak, and if you follow that peak down the gray path, you see where the regeneration event is described at the bottom of the chart. And like I said before, it's just down there because of space. The order is shown at the top. Now, let's just take a deep breath before we dive into this. And I I want us all to remember that this is something that every believer has already experienced. In that regard, what's on this chart is nothing new. When we get saved, now we might not know all these words that are on this chart, but we know a lot of things, don't we? You know, for example, let's see, how might you describe what God did when he saved you? You might say, well, Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins. Or, I was born again. I became a child of God. My sins were forgiven. I was united with Christ. I was freed from slavery to sin. Those are all components of this regeneration event that we're talking about. And so there may also be some unfamiliar words here, but they are just words which help describe what God did when he saved us. And they're helpful to know so that as you come across them in your Bible reading, then you'll know what they mean. And you'll get an even greater understanding of God's great salvation work. So back to our question. How does a person escape what we were over on the left side of the chart and come to have the hope that we saw in the last blue panel? Well, it's all because of the gospel. God regenerates us. Now, regeneration means new birth. We're talking about the beginning of new life in Christ when we are declared righteous. 
God's solution for what we had made of ourselves in that old, unmixed condition was not to clean it up, it was not to fix it up, or just restore what we used to be. He starts over. He causes us to be born again. And as we look at this event, what is key is that all of this has been accomplished by God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what God has done. There's only one set of fingerprints on the event of regeneration, and they are God's, and that is really good news. So let's start with the Gospels. The Gospel. In your chart, you can see that we have two theological summaries of the good news. We have adoption through propitiation and penal substitutionary atonement. And that's uh, something Scott mentioned in our first lesson. Now, the important thing here is not the vocabulary. The point we want to remember is that these are ways of describing what God did when he saved us. And so let's talk about what these phrases and what these words mean. You'll see that to the right, under the regeneration event components, both adoption and propitiation are listed with the verses next to them. So we're going to talk about them over here on the left side of your chart under gospel summaries, but I just want you to see that you have the verses there if you want to look at those more on your own. <clears throat> so let's start with adoption through propitiation. Adoption. Ephesians 1.5 says, God predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. Not every earthly father has kind intentions towards his children. But our Heavenly Father does. That is why he adopted us. Through adoption, God makes us his very own children. We are loved. We are cared for. We are taught. We are even disciplined by our loving, perfect, Heavenly Father. And how do we come to be recipients of such privileged status before him? Adoption is ours through propitiation. And propitiation means wrath satisfied. If there was any hope for us to have a relationship with God, God had to have taken his cup filled with wrath toward us and poured it out completely. So that when he looks at it, he's satisfied. His wrath toward us is gone because he has placed it on his son, Jesus Christ, in our place. So we have adoption where God makes us his children through propitiation. God's wrath being satisfied through Jesus' death on the cross. And these two gospel realities, adoption and propitiation, have something wonderful in common. They are two different yardsticks for measuring God's love for us. 1 John 3, 1. This one's not on your chart. You can jot that on your worksheet. 1 John 3, 1 says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God. So how do we know God loves us? He made us his own children. And then 1 John 4, 10 says, And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. How does this verse say that we know God loves us? It's because of the cross. It's because Jesus satisfied God's wrath toward us. 
So adoption through propitiation summarizes the good news of the gospel by capturing this relationship between two, uh, God's two great expressions of love for his people, while at the same time acknowledging the seriousness of God's wrath against our sin. Now, the next summary of the good news is penal substitutionary atonement. And Scott explained this briefly for us last time. Penal is like the word penalty. God, in his righteousness, penalizes sin. Substitutionary means one taking the place of another, and it had to be an innocent substitute. We're given a picture of that throughout the Old Testament with a lamb being sacrificed for the sins of those under the Old Covenant. The lamb took the sinner's place. In John 1.29, you can jot that on your worksheet as well, John the Baptist borrowed this Old Testament imagery of a sacrificial lamb and declared of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus, the Lamb of God, was the substitute lamb who shed his blood so that our penalty could be paid. And then atonement, that's the taking away of sin and guilt, and shame so that we can be right with God. That's penal substitutionary atonement. Our penalty had to be paid by a substitute so that our sin would be taken away and we would be made right with God. That's the core of the gospel. So these two gospel summaries highlight different aspects of the good news. And if we pull them together into one sentence, we could say, as you see on your chart, we get God through Jesus' death in our place. And that is good news. Again, it's not about the vocabulary. Don't don't go floating off, <laughs> drifting away because of the vocabulary. This The point here is to understand more and more about what God has done for us in salvation. We are going to talk more about the components and benefits of that good news, but first we need to make sure we understand how that comes to be true about a person. So you see on the chart the phrase, appropriated through repentance and faith. Appropriate means to take possession of. Salvation through the gospel of Jesus Christ is taken possession of through repentance and faith. It's the call that Jesus made early in his ministry. In Mark 1, 14 and 15, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. We have to repent and we have to believe. To repent means that we turn away from a life of sin and self-rule and we turn to God. And we turn to God believing that our penalty was paid by Jesus to atone for our sin. We have to believe that for ourselves. We have to entrust ourselves to God in it. Turning away from God and turning to follow Jesus. And it's something that God brings about. He causes us to be regenerated so that we do repent and we do believe that what Christ has accomplished on the cross is everything we need to be made right with God. That is how we get God through Jesus' death in our place. That's the event of regeneration, and it has only one set of fingerprints on it, only God's. Now, if you hear that, you have any questions, or you're wondering if you've truly repented and believed, those are good questions to ask, and I would really love to talk to you about them. I hope you'll look me up afterwards. Um, all right. 
Now we're ready to look at the regeneration event components, where we see many aspects of God's provision for what we had made of ourselves apart from Christ. If regeneration were a beautiful gemstone, then each of these components um, is like a different facet of that jewel, that each one helps us to better see the beauty of what God has done in regeneration. This is giving us more detail about God's solution to man's unmixed rebellion towards him. Now you have the list in front of you, and you can see that next to each particular component, there's a short definition, and there are Bible verses. And we only have time to talk about some of these, but if you have questions about any of them that I skip, please ask me. Um, Our big picture is there right underneath where it says Regeneration Event Components. These are once-for-all-time events accomplished by God for the believer at conversion. So we want to remember that our point is that this is what God has done. This is his work alone. All right, so let's start by talking about positional sanctification. Uh, Believers are once and for all set apart. They are set apart from sin, and they are set apart for God. The word sanctification is used two different ways in the New Testament. It's used to describe this positional declaration of holiness that God makes about a believer. And it's also used to describe the process of becoming holy. And that's what we'll see when we move into the next blue panel. But here as we talk about this gospel event of regeneration, positional sanctification means that God once and for all in an event made us holy in his sight. This is God's solution to all that we had made of ourselves up in that first blue panel. The unregenerate man is anything but holy. We needed to be taken out of that. God needed to give us new life. And God needed to set us in a place of holiness before him. So what else? What is God's answer to what we were? Well, let's talk about justification briefly. God's answer to uh, the condition that we had that we were in was to declare us to be righteous on the basis of faith alone, to justify us on the basis of Christ's sinless record. Uh, Why don't you jump down to union with Christ? What is God's answer for this unregenerate condition we were in? He unites us with his own son, thereby allowing us to share in all of the benefits and riches that result from Christ's sinless life, death, and resurrection. Our huge problem before is that we were without Christ, and we loved it that way. And God's solution is to unite us with Christ. Our condition was so bad that God invested the most precious thing he had. He gave his son, and he unites us with his son. And that is such a powerful work of God that God says we can never go back to that unmixed condition. We cannot lose the benefits of the gospel, and we cannot go back to what we once were before Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Do we still sin? Yes. But a believer cannot go back to being enslaved to sin. That is God's solution to what we were. 
Next, we have expiation. Expiation means sin removed. It's the taking away of guilt and sin. Hebrews 9.26 says, Jesus has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. That is expiation. Sin put away. We needed that desperately. If we were going to be made right with God, our sin and guilt had to be taken away. So let's finish out this section by jumping to the end of the list, and then we'll take a short break. Uh, The old man is crucified. Romans 6.6, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. That is God's answer to what we had made of ourselves. He kills it. It's gone. We can never go back. He has made us something completely new. It is so hard to skip some of these. They are all such treasures, but I hope that this is just whetting your appetite to keep digging into your understanding of God's amazing salvation work. This is all because of what Christ has done on the cross. All of these regeneration event components, and then you also have a column there of regeneration event benefits. Just look at some of those benefits. We are loved by God. We are indwelt by his Holy Spirit. We have confident access to God. We're free from condemnation. This all happens as part of the regeneration event when the gospel is applied to a sinner and God declares her to be a saint. So again, let's ask, what does your heart do when you hear this? Have you cultivated a habit of pondering this wondrous salvation purchased by the blood of Jesus? Do you see how these truths melt away self-righteousness, self-reliance? The more we saturate our hearts and our minds with the salvation work of God, the more we will worship him and the more we will press on in humble submission to him. So renew your minds often with these gospel realities. Okay, we have one more section. We'll take a very short break. We'll start up again in about three minutes. Okay, ladies, thanks for settling back in so quickly. Um, I have one announcement from Laura, uh, from Lori. She just has the question. If anybody is sensitive to the candles, um, like I think there's one in the bathroom, there's one back here. If that gives anybody headaches, makes anybody feel bad, please let her know. We don't have to have them. We certainly don't want that to be a hindrance for anyone. Um, so please just let her know, let me know. Um, you can leave us an anonymous message if you don't want us to know who you are. We're okay with that, but we really, really want this to be a comfortable place for everyone. So please let us know. We know that that can be very difficult. Okay. Well, that brings us, all of that, to bring us to the regenerate man. Okay, this is the middle blue panel. <clears throat> So this is where a believer is is in the process of being made righteous. So we started off over on the left. You know how hard it is to hold up your right hand and say left? That is hard. I think I'll say this. We started off over here. um, And we were unrighteous. And we saw that someday we will be made righteous completely. That will be complete and done. 
At regeneration, we were declared righteous, and right now we are in the process of being made righteous. Okay? Now, I know for me that when I was saved, I understood that I had received forgiveness for all my sins, and I knew that when I died, I would live eternally with Jesus. But it took some time for me to understand that the gospel has an enormous impact on my life every day in between. The gospel that saved us also provides us a new way to live in Jesus. So we're looking at that second blue panel, the regenerate man. And you see that, the, the, you look at the figures up at the top, the gray and yellow figures. Underneath that, it tells us that this has been accomplished once and for all by God, but we are being renewed day by day in progressive sanctification. That's the process of becoming more like Jesus. Now, when we start off as believers, you can see in the figures how the guy on the left is a little more gray than he is yellow, and that's kind of what we look like when we first get saved. And as we grow in Christ, we become more and more like Jesus. We're becoming more and more holy. We're doing different things with our outer members now than we did before as our inner man is being renewed. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day. This mixed condition is a renewable condition. That condition over on the first panel, that could never be made new as it was. There was nothing to renew. It was dead. But this new creation needs to be renewed. And that renewal is a process. If you're a Christian, you are being changed. It started when you got saved, and it will end when you take your very last breath on this earth. Unlike positional sanctification, which has only God's fingerprints, here, as we look at progressive sanctification, there are two sets of fingerprints, God's and ours, because we participate. God enables us to. Now, in the header to this blue panel, you see that it says, The Regenerate Man. And under that, it says, Mixed Condition. So now, what do we mean by a mixed condition? Here's the big picture, the take-home message for this panel. The mixed condition means that for all who are genuine followers of Jesus Christ, we're not what we were, and we're not yet what we will be. Okay, now that might not sound like rocket science. It might not sound particularly shocking. But it's easy to miss the biblical implications of it. We can be like those blind men and that elephant. We can focus on the remaining indwelling sin, and we can feel hopeless, and we can feel discouraged, and we can forget that Christ died to free us from that sin. Or we can be so glad that we have new life in Christ and that we're a new creation that we don't have the proper caution towards our sin. We don't realize that our hearts are still easily deceived by sin and entangled by sin. So we need to take a careful look at this mixed condition. We need to understand it. And it can be helpful to think of it um, from two vantage points. We can think about our position and we can think about our practice. The position we now have before God as believers is not mixed. It's not getting better. Our position before God is perfect. Or righteous. That's what we saw in the regeneration event. But when we consider our practice, our actual walk with Christ, practically speaking, it's not perfect. It is mixed. 
We've been given new desires from God and new equipping from God to obey him, and yet there is still indwelling sin in us. That indwelling sin no longer rules us as it did in our unregenerate condition, but it still resides in us, and we are still in a sinfully weak, faltering condition. So this is a new condition that we never had before. So what is this mixed condition characterized by? We're going to take the first three together. You can see it's characterized by the unchanging realities accomplished at regeneration, the pervading benefits of regeneration, and a new identity in Christ. This is what we looked at in that regeneration event section down at the bottom uh, in gray on the left. And you can find an even more extensive list of our new identity in Christ in a handout from Smedley's sermon on August 31st. You might want to jot that down um, if you weren't there. He read page after page after page of verses talking about our identity in Christ. Those are all available on the website. Wonderful, wonderful verses for shepherding our hearts. Um, But all we saw in the regeneration event and all that was in that list that Smedley read in that sermon, these are all true for the believer at the moment of regeneration, and they will always be true for the believer. Praise God. Next, you'll see that the believer is characterized by the fruit of the Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit indwells each believer and produces his fruit in them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what people should see in us as we grow in Christ. Next, we see that the regenerate man is characterized by good works. Titus 2.14 tells us that Christ gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession who are now zealous for good deeds. Our deeds used to reflect our sinful condition, whereas now, because of God's work of regeneration, they reflect his work in us. And the result of that work is that we are now careful to engage in good deeds that honor him. We can also see that now the believer has the ability to obey God. God has set us free from slavery to sin, and he has provided us everything we need to live obedient lives. Just as sin characterized the old life, So obedience now characterizes our new life. This is not a self-justifying obedience. We cannot earn our acceptance with God. We've already said that. But rather, it's a love-driven obedience. You can add this uh, reference to your worksheet, John 14, 21. Jesus said, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. So the believer has the ability to obey God And the believer loves God. And yet, there is still a proneness to sin. That's the next point on the chart. Galatians 5.17 says, For the flesh sets sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. There is a war raging within us. Our flesh opposes the work of God's Holy Spirit in us, and that's why we can call this a mixed condition. Hebrews 12.1 tells us that we are still easily entangled by sin. 
And so since there is still indwelling sin in this mixed condition, there is also ongoing repentance. That's the next bullet in the list. 1 John 1, 8 and 9. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Believers do struggle with sin, but they repent. We grow in our ability to see sin's offensiveness to God and we turn away from that sin. This mixed condition is also characterized by ongoing faith. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. The regenerate man has the privilege of Christ indwelling him and empowering him to live by faith. Finally, we see that this mixed condition believer is characterized by progress in Christ-likeness. This reference is not on the chart. You can write it on your worksheet, Romans 8, 29. For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. The gospel has such a powerful, ongoing impact on the life of a believer that they change and they grow and they become more and more like Christ. So that is what characterizes the believer. We are in Christ and we never want to forget that. But we must also not forget that we still live in sinful flesh. We are still capable of great sin and great error. And so because of that, this is the next section of the chart. The mixed condition of the regenerate man requires God's relentless transformation of the believer as well as our own diligent pursuit of holiness. Philippians 2 verses 12 and 13 puts these together. So then, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For... It is God who's at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The whole reason we even can pursue holiness is because God is at work in us. And that is what we must have in this mixed condition. We must have God's relentless work to transform us into the image of his son. And because he is at work in us, we must diligently pursue holiness. The mixed condition of the believer also requires the believer's wariness about indwelling sin. The person without Christ, unregenerate man, that person is not concerned about indwelling sin. They're not concerned with their offense to God. And no one in the unmixed glorified condition will be concerned about indwelling sin because there isn't any. Indwelling sin will be gone then. But the believer in our mixed condition can be and must be wary. We must be very cautious and alert to indwelling sin. Finally, the mixed condition of the regenerate man requires the believer's serious perseverance. You can add Matthew twenty four thirteen to your worksheet. 
in it, Jesus says, the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. The mixed condition requires that we endure, that we persevere in faith and holiness to the end. By all means, Jesus will lose none whom the Father has given him. But one of his means for accomplishing this is to exhort us, hold fast to the faith, persevere. By God's grace, the true believer will persevere in the faith. So let's look at some key descriptions of this new condition. We've seen that this is a mixed condition in which we are able not to sin. Before, we didn't even have that ability. Now, because of what God has accomplished in us, we are able not to sin, and we are also able to please God. We have the ability to walk in a manner which is pleasing to him, to grow in our love and our devotion to him. Next, we see that there is a fight within in which we fight against sin. Sin is still dangerous to us, but it is not our master. And we also fight for Jesus to grow in our love for him and our obedience to him. The next key description is that this new creation is now enslaved to God. We're slaves of righteousness and obedience. God is our rightful master. We live to serve him. And yet we are reminded of our mixed condition as we look at the next key description, residual sin and regeneration are evident in all our faculties. In the unregenerate man, sin ruled all of who we were. Well, now our mixed condition is evident in all aspects of who we are. Every part of our lives show evidence of the gospel's work, and every part of our lives show still have the residue of the old man. So that means there's a lot of friction. There's a lot of conflict within. It's a battle to grow in Christ-likeness. The next key description is that we now are able to shepherd our hearts away from sin and to God. And we must. It is the only way we will be diligent in our pursuit of holiness and remain wary of sin and strengthen our perseverance. And how do we shepherd our hearts? Through the word of God. Because we live in a mixed condition our hearts are in desperate need for God to help us fight sin. And so we bring our hearts to his word to grow in our knowledge of him, which results in our trusting him more and growing in our affections for him. He has provided us his word out of his love and his care for us to guide our hearts to him and away from sin. Our final key description is that we're no longer under God's wrath or judgment. Romans 5, 9. Because we've been justified by his blood, we are saved from the wrath of God. We will never experience God's wrath because his wrath has been satisfied by a substitute in our place. Jesus bought us with his blood and made us righteous. All right, well, let's talk a little bit more to wrap up here about this mixed condition. Why are we in this mixed condition? We are loved so lavishly in the gospel. You might just want to take notes on this in the back. I'm not sure that there's much more in the worksheets about this. We're loved so lavishly, and we are completely transformed, so that old man is gone, and yet we're so weak, we're still prone to sin. But God tells us why. Um, you want to add 2 Corinthians 4, 6, and 7 to your worksheet. Um, it says, For God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness. He's referring to Genesis 1. 
and the creation. He's saying that the creator is the one who has shown in our hearts. Why? To give the light of the knowledge of God in the face of Christ. The creator has shown in our hearts so that we would understand the glory of God in the face of Christ. He's talking about the gospel. That's regeneration. But verse 7 says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We are earthen vessels with a treasure inside. That's a mixed condition. Now, why did God do it this way? Verse 7, we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. God designed it this way to display his power. God in his wisdom determined that in saving us, that he would put us in this mixed condition in which we still sin so that as we draw near to him and depend on him, his power is seen in a way that it never would have been displayed if he saved us straight into glory. The fact that we are fighting against sin daily reminds us of how badly we need Jesus. And that is so much better than when we couldn't see our need for him. And we didn't even want to fight against sin. In the midst of battling sin, we can actually be encouraged that we are battling it. And God is using that battle to make us more like his son. The fight is evidence of new life. So our mixed condition gives God the opportunity to display his power as we battle sin. And so if you remember nothing else from this lesson, please understand that we are in a condition in which we must shepherd our hearts. As Scott said last time, we don't just wake up in the morning and accidentally find ourselves reading the Word. You know, we just don't do that. When you, now, when we look at the beauty of the truths we've examined today, what believer wouldn't want to draw near to God? And don't we want our hearts to always be warm towards Him and soft to Him and eager to draw near to Him? Don't we want to keep these truths of who Christ is and what God has done for in our salvation, saturating our hearts? We want that, and yet we're still weak, and we just so easily let our hearts grow cold. And so we open up our Bibles anyway. We must, even when our heart feels cold, and we say, Lord, I must have you. You warm my heart again. Open up my eyes to behold wonderful things in your word. Prepare me to be a useful instrument in your hands today. And that is why in in Wellspring we start with Discipline 1 and we never move on from Discipline 1, prayerfully shepherding our hearts with the Word of God to get God himself. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for what you have done for us through Jesus Christ. Thank you for what you have done in bringing us together as a body at Grace Bible Church, for giving us the opportunity to be here together Lord, as we probably feel very saturated and maybe maybe a little overwhelmed with the amount of truth we've, we've talked about this morning, I pray that as we go into our discussion groups, you would help us to process that and to talk about that. And Lord, that it wouldn't just be for the moment, but that, Lord, you would truly work lasting change in each of our hearts to make us women who do seek you more faithfully, more diligently, who continue to grow and who are earnest to become more like Christ, who your power at work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.